Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. If you think God's forgiven you, but you can't forgive other people, I'm not sure you have asked for God's forgiveness. I'm not sure you've repented. Because if you repent, you, you know you're a sinner. And if you can't forgive, then you can say, oh, God's forgiven me. I don't know that he has. That's Dr. Tim Keller with some serious food for thought on the issue of forgiving others, which is central to the Christian life. We'll unpack a lot more about forgiveness today on Focus on the Family. And your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller. Uh, John, forgiving someone who has wronged us is probably one of the hardest things for us to do. It's certainly near the top of the list, if not at the top. But the reality is when we refuse to forgive, it causes resentment and bitterness to continue to fester. And it has a negative impact on us and spills into other areas of our lives. Uh, Dr. Tim Keller has done a thorough study of this topic and has written a great book that outlines the necessity of forgiveness, the problem we have uh, with forgiving in our culture today are abundant, Mm -hmm. and how to practice forgiveness as Christians. You will not want to miss this great discussion. And Dr. Keller is a prolific author and the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. Uh, He also co-founded a ministry called Redeemer City to City, and uh, the book that really forms the basis of this conversation is titled Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? It's an incredible resource, and you'll want to get that from us. Uh, you'll find it at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Now, this was a rare opportunity to sit with Dr. Keller near his home in New York City, and the conversation was outdoors. Uh, we're so grateful that he allowed us to visit with him as he continues to undergo cancer treatments, and you'll hear more about that in a moment. You'll also hear sounds of the city on the river and in the sky uh, during the interview. Here now, Jim Daly with Dr. Tim Keller. Well, Dr. Keller, welcome back to Focus on the Family. I'm glad to be back. It's good to have you here. <laughs> well, it's nice to be uh, able to be here. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure a year ago I would have thought I could have kept an appointment like this. So well, I'm really delighted you to know, be here. That, let's start there because so many people, when I mentioned I was going to come out here on Roosevelt Island in New York and yeah. have a time to chat with you, the first question is, how, how is he doing? So yeah. over two years ago... Diagnosed with stage four stage pancreatic cancer. Stage four pancreatic cancer, May of 2020. Right. So how are you doing? Well, uh, I had two years of chemotherapy in which the chemotherapy uh, kept the cancer at bay. And everyone said that all by itself that was remarkably good. That was already put me in the top 5% of responders, I guess. So we were very grateful to God for that. Then when it started to break out, which it does, cancer starts to grow, I was. I went into a an immunotherapy uh, trial. Uh, it sounds terrible when you say a trial, an experiment, but it's a uh, National Cancer Institute in, in uh, Bethesda, Maryland, has worked on 2,000 patients, has been trying to find and working on a way of uh, getting your immune system able to fight the cancer rather than using chemotherapy. Yeah. And they've done it many times. Uh, they have successes and failures, and I was very happy to get into it. And so far... Uh, it's working, even though it's not, uh, the jury's still out on whether it's a, you know, remission for pancreatic cancer is extraordinarily rare. And if I actually got remission through this trial, I was told you'd probably be a, an article in some, <laughs> right. yeah, in some medical journal. Nevertheless, it, if it beats it back for a longer time, it gives me more time with my wife, my, my children, my grandchildren. And so right now it's, it's working. 
So I don't know how long, but here I am and yeah. able to do a lot of things. You know, Tim, let me let me start there. You've written this great book, Forgive. Boy, our culture needs that message, and our Christian culture needs that message. But let me make it personal, if I may, for a moment, because at Focus, many people will write us. They've received a diagnosis. There oh. seems to be two responses. One is, okay, Lord, what, what do you want me to do in this situation? The other is anger and a lack of understanding from that person about what they're going through, kind of bitter toward God. Um, how yeah. do you decide every morning when you wake up where your emotions are going to be with all that? It's more understandable, and I would be very patient with somebody, very patient with somebody who is in their 40s or 50s, haven't seen their grandchildren or their children grow up. It's much more understandable for them to say, God, what in the world are you doing? And this just doesn't seem fair. You do ultimately have to say, you're not really going to get much out of not trusting God. It's going to be hard to trust him and say, you know best. But it's going to be even harder not to. Yeah, And so that's the one approach. The other approach is, to be honest with you, Psalm 70, excuse me, Psalm 90 says, if we live three score in 10 years or by strength four score, in other words, you get past 70, I think you're not supposed to complain. Right, there you go. I feel like I, and Kathy and I have talked a lot about that. We've talked about the fact that, um, that it's really important for us to, Even though we don't feel old enough to die, the reality is God's given us 70 years, plenty of other people not. I think you need to say, hey, you know, you got to go sometime. God knows when the right time is. Teach us to number our days that we get a heart for wisdom. It's wise to know your time is up. And in my case, what Kathy and I realized is that we're very grateful for knowing I might die any time is it's enormously been helpful for sanctification and prayer. Wow, I can imagine. But it's also yeah. been helpful on focus. So the, the day after my diagnosis, I sat down, was praying, and in my, the two words that came to me, and I'm a Presbyterian, not a Pentecostal, but they still came to me. <laughs> One was uh, sanctification, mm. that you're not holy enough. You know that, and I'm going to be working on you. And the second yeah. was focus that you're not focused enough. There's things that you really ought to be doing. Instead, you're just doing whatever everybody else wants you to do to please them because you're an oldest child and you want to please everybody. And you need to just say, no, I can't do that. I've got two or three things I need to work on. That concerns me because I see you as one of the most focused people I've ever met. So if you're not focused, I'm in real trouble. Well, yeah. (laughs) yeah. People say, you must have great focus to pop out the books. But I'll just not say, just books, but really thoughtful writing. I mean, really thoughtful. Well, that's very kind of you. It's actually well, true. All right. Well, you know what? Uh, <laughs> that's very kind of you to say. But uh, it's not just the books. There's just quite a few other things that I should be doing, um, and some younger leaders that I should be talking to. Yeah, that's good. Do you know Ray Bakke? You know Ray Bakke? Uh-huh. Yeah. Ray called me about two. He was in the hospice, and he said, "I'm going to die." I just was calling old friends. We had a wonderful call. He called wow. about two months before he died. And we just remembered. We, we a little concerned about the fact that the, the generation of people who have been telling Christians care about cities are kind of dying off. Right. But we talked a lot about various younger leaders that he was very hopeful for. And actually, it helped me because I know I'm dying too at some point, but not as quickly. And some of the things he said in that 
conversation made me say, well, you know, I got a couple years probably left of pretty decent health, and I ought to be doing some of the, I should be talking to some of these folks, and I should be encouraging them and maybe pushing them a little bit. So that's anyway, good. that's that's really good. Here we are. Sanctification well, focus. Let's move to forgive. And again, what a tremendous concept right from the heart of God. Let me let me make a statement and have you respond to it. Somebody said to me the other day, one of the mistakes we are making in the church, it's always uh, an alert when you hear somebody mention that, is that we tend to use carnal tools against a carnal world and expect a spiritual outcome. In other words, we don't we're not engaging the fruit of the Spirit, which forgiveness would be part of. So we try to fight the spiritual battle within our human capacity using carnal tools, fleshly tools, yeah. anger, whatever it might be, unforgiveness. And then we expect some kind of a spiritual outcome in that battle with somebody who doesn't know God. Speak to that concept of the fading of forgiveness, which you mentioned in the book, and how in this culture today with less God orientation, understanding of God, there is a fading of forgiveness. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the fact that we all know, including Christians, everybody's more combative. Everybody's less forgiving. Everybody's less congenial. Everybody's less, every, and everybody is saying, maybe it's because of the emphasis on power and justice that even Christians have taken on, that uh, power and justice is more important than love and forgiveness that if you compromise, if you say nice things about those people who are really the, the, the villains and the, the trouble, that it's unpleasing to God, not pleasing to God, and it's hurting our culture. And so, but it's not just on the right. You know, it's also, I, I live here, and <laughs> the, uh, uh, there is a, le- a left progressivism that's every bit as bitter right. and unforgiving. And I would say, I don't know what the percentages are, but they, both the left and the right, uh, especially the more uh, strong left and right, are very unforgiving in both their cases, very unforgiving. And they are very loud. I mean, in other words, they're the ones who are on Twitter. They're the ones who are in the media. Right. But they, the trouble is that they are kind of, they disagree on everything except that one, and that is you don't forgive. Right. <laughs> so that is yeah. a cultural move. It feels like, you know, from a spiritual construct, I've often felt it feels like something's been unsealed, to use biblical language. It's like this discontent. Something's been released. Something's been released that yeah. is causing a great deal of discontent, frustration, yeah. unforgiveness. I put it toward the idea that there's less of God in the culture. I there's less so. cohesion in the culture about biblical truth. We stop teaching the Bible. Uh, I guess the point being, when you, as the founding fathers said, you know, this democracy, this republic is built for a moral people, and it's it won't work with any other. Yeah. And then you start thinking about the fact that if we're not treating each other well with basic truth, right. it's going to fall apart potentially. Yeah, so there's, there's a lot me, of work to do. Let me ask you, in the book you talk about three distortions oh. of forgiveness, non-conditional, trans- Actional and then no forgiveness. Let's go ahead and jump into those three and maybe give us a definition of those. Well, the first one is more the therapeutic one, uh, the no condition. In other words, what it says is the purpose of forgiveness is just to help you get past your anger. Now, this is partly true. Right. I mean, there's no doubt that uh, if you, Jesus says, I mean, uh, the book of Hebrews says, 
be careful that a root of, about a root of bitterness, let it, lest it spring up and harm people. Paul says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold. Right. So what they're both saying is that if you don't forgive, it hurts you. Uh, it opens you to other things. It, it, it can, we all know, by the way, bitterness can actually destroy your, your health. Right. Um, and it's also true that it can just destroy relationships. So it's fair to say one of the reasons you ought to forgive is not good for you. Right. But the therapeutic approach basically says you've, you've got to uh, get free of your anger and it has no concern at all for the ruined relationship. And matter of fact, it kind of despises the person who wronged you. It's almost like saying, don't let him, uh, you know, he's not worth it. I mean, they, right. they, I've read a lot of the more secular therapeutic books on why forgiveness is important, but the books are all about how can you get free and happy, not about what's best for the person who wronged you, what's best for society, what's best for community. Should we be confronting him? Should we be reconciling with him? No, it's all internal. So it's partly right, but it's, it's actually, I don't think it's going to work. It's selfish. And it also rules that it doesn't have any kind of vertical relationship with God either. Right. It's just like, I'm just going to get past this because I'm strong. And so that's the first kind of forgiveness. Well, you know, it's interesting because I think so much of this life, we're selfish creatures, I believe. And I think even in this regard, the fact that we would look through the lens of forgiveness and say, okay, where's the benefit for me? Yeah. <laughs> Reinforces that What's selfishness. What's in it for me? Right. And uh, not what is best for the other person. That's right. Which is more of a godly Or God or community. Yeah. Right. Exactly, Jim. You just said the Christian understanding of forgiveness is it is a concern for human community, both inside the church and outside. You can't really have marriage without oh, forgiveness. Yeah. You can't have, I think, friendship without forgiveness. So the idea of it's being individually just concerned about how I'm psychologically, that's wrong. The second kind of, I'd say, second false mis or the mistake about forgiveness is the kind that actually focuses on this, that says it's highly conditional. Like, I don't have to forgive at all unless this person comes and grovels before me. Right. Uh, interestingly, Martha Nussbaum at University of Chicago, who's not a believer of any kind, she's very critical. She thinks that's the Christian idea of forgiveness. And... She goes to Luke 17 where it says if somebody repents, you have to forgive him. And if he repents, you know, 70 times 7, you have to forgive him 70 times 7. And she says basically forgiveness isn't what it looks like. It's really a way of punishing people, mm. making them grovel under the, the image of being so gracious and forgiving. But actually, I'm not going to forgive you unless you come and you lick my boots. Right. And, 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 and so she sees it as very, very uh, punitive and harsh. And actually, it may be. I mean, in other words, I, that's, not, that's also uh, a mistake. It's not uh, the full dimensions of, uh, of yeah. biblical forgiveness. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. When Holly's son was considering suicide, she called a Focus on the Family counselor. All those years I'd been listening to Focus, I was thinking about how they were like that practical guide for me. That was sound advice I could get from them. I didn't really know where else to turn. I'm Jim Daly. Help us rescue hurting parents and give families hope. 
Donate at FocusOnTheFamily.com family, and your gift will be doubled. Just like a warm fireplace when it's cold outside, the joy the Christmas season gives comfort and draws us closer to loved ones. I'm John Fuller, and Focus on the Family is excited to let you know about our Christmas Stories podcast. Each episode brings heartwarming conversations to bring your family closer together and remind you of the hope we have in Jesus. You can enjoy that podcast at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Christmas Stories. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Christmas Stories. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Uh, novelist Carrie Fisher, you yeah. referenced this. I want to make sure people hear this. It's fairly well known, but not everybody will have heard this. The idea of poison. Describe uh, the comment that you made, that she made, and you put in the book. Yeah, she, she basically says, and by the way, I, when I was looking this up, People have said that she ripped this off from other people. Yeah, I'm sure. Whoever. And I have no idea. <laughs> but all I know is basically the idea is that bitterness, staying bitter at somebody is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Yeah. That's what I mean by saying the therapeutic aspect is true. It's, I mean, I remember years ago with one girl, 15 years old, had a really very difficult father. I mean, he was, she was so mad at him. And at one point I said, you realize if you don't forgive him, he wins. Right? She said, why? Because you're going to be controlled the rest of your life by him. In fact, what you'll do things just because you know that would bother your father. Or you'll do things just, you won't do things just because you know he would have wanted that. And I said, he'll end up controlling you. And uh, that was my beginning. But then I had to go and beyond that and say, the reason Christians forgive is because they're forgiven by God. And as soon as you bring that vertical thing in, it... it keeps you from being totally therapeutic or totally, uh, you know, make, making the other person grovel. And uh, Yeah, it, think of that. What's feeding that in you that you want that person to grovel? Yeah. That doesn't sound healthy. No. See, <laughs> if, if, if you have the vertical, that forgiveness is something that I've experienced from God, undeserved but, but full, then that it builds me up a little bit. You know, right. it, it says, hey, God loves me. So people who are trying to hurt you, they, they don't hurt you as much, frankly, yeah. because you know, they hurt my reputation, but God loves me. Okay, so you don't feel like they, they've robbed me of everything. Uh, but it also humbles you, and you look at a person who's sinned against you and say, well, I've sinned against God, and he's forgiven me. Yeah. So that vertical makes all the difference. You know, another example certainly cuts close to Colorado Springs because it involved the U.S. gymnastics team and the U.S. Oh. Olympic Center is there in Colorado Springs. So we heard about this news over and over again, but uh, Dr. Nasser and his despicable behavior with those girls. Uh, speak to the first female gymnast that actually stepped forward and how she saw forgiveness work in that real difficult situation. Yeah, Rachel Den Hollander. Interestingly about Rachel, who I don't know personally, um, but you know, having gotten through the book, I make uh, use of a lot of what she has written. She's actually, interestingly enough, she's very conservative theologically. So she's, she and her husband wrote a paper on why the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. Wow. The idea that uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ on the cross received the wrath of God and thereby took all of our punishment so that we could be forgiven and we could receive his righteousness. She had a paper on that about like 
that is actually a wonderful resource for uh, doing justice and helping uh, victims of abuse. Because what she said was, the cross was not more about justice than mercy or more about mercy than justice. At the very same moment he died, he was totally satisfying justice and opening the door for infinite mercy for right. us to be forgiven. So she would say, and I tr the way I tried to summarize this was that you should never pit forgiveness and justice against each other. I think the right way to say is if you don't forgive first, you won't actually be pursuing justice. You'll be pursuing vengeance. Huh. And that almost always goes astray. It, it doesn't usually get the justice. It usually just creates more retaliation and more bitterness on your part. And uh, There's absolutely no reason why you can't forgive completely from the heart and really have perfectly good will toward the perpetrator. And yet now I'm going out to try to get that person exposed and accountable to the law. Why? For his sake. So he doesn't keep doing it. For other victims' sake. For God's sake. He's, in other words, instead of for my sake, I'm going right. to make that sucker suffer the way he made me suffer. No. That's gone. Well, she was really bold, too, even in talking with him. Yeah, she said, I hope you find forgiveness, but... Because it's more important yeah. for God to forgive you than yes, for and, right. me to forgive Basically, you. Basically, she said, I've forgiven you. I'm, right. I'm seeking justice, but not out of vengeance. But I hope that you will finally repent so that God, you find God's forgiveness. It's a incredibly balanced and very unusual, I think. I think her approach is oh, it unusual. It was overwhelmingly yeah. forgiving and in some ways kind toward yeah. him in terms of understanding his sin. Yeah. Another one is the where Jesus was talking about the unforgiving servant, and you mentioned yeah. that in the book too. Oh yeah. What's the story of the? And again, we can read it, and then we don't apply it to our own lives. But what's the unforgiving servant's? Well, heart? Kathy. May, now, by the way, I didn't write this book with Kathy, but Kathy's always, always involved. <laughs> That's uh, an honest man. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Now I've written three or four books that we really did write together. Um, what Kathy said is you got to start with the parable of the unmerciful servant. In fact, she said she felt that over the years in our ministry that that was probably the key story. And Tell so that she, story for the listeners. Well, the good thing, yeah, so she asked me to start with it, and I did, because, she, in fact, she insisted I start with it. So <laughs> right. it, it's a, it's, first of all, it talks about a king who has a servant who owes the king 10,000 talents. It's a debt. And every commentator says this is clearly Jesus' way of saying an infinite debt because it's crazy. A talent was like a year's wages at most. It was like it's like ten thousand years of wages. They probably, maybe not even the Roman emperor was worth ten thousand talents. It all it's difficult to know historically, right. but, but extreme. basically, it's a crazy, crazy amount. And uh, he says, "Pay my, pay me." And the, the servant says, please forgive my debt, and the king does it. Okay, great. So then the, the first servant goes on his way, and he meets a second servant, a fellow servant, who owes the first servant just a little amount of money. And uh, so the first servant says, pay me. The second servant says, oh, please forgive my debt. And the first servant says, no, into debtor's prison with you. And when the king hears about it, he brings the first servant in and he asks him a question. And this is the whole story. And it's very powerful. 
shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Ta-da, there it is. I think that's kaboom. Yeah, it is kaboom. In fact, you know, the only part of the Lord's Prayer that ever gets repeated, uh, it, you know, when Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, he always then always repeats at the very end, and, and, and I want you to know that my Father's forgiveness of you and your forgiveness of others are linked. I mean, he says it different ways, but Jesus is basically saying those two things are linked. Yeah. If you think God's forgiven you, but you can't forgive other people, I'm not sure you have asked for God's forgiveness. I'm not sure you've repented. Because if you repent, you, you know you're a sinner. And if you can't forgive, then you can say, oh, God's forgiven me. I don't know that he has. So it, I, that just goes right through you. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you? And, uh, and also the difference between this infinite debt that we owe God and the, the smaller debt. That's the heart of the whole thing. It is. And so Kathy said, just, you know, <laughs> cut right to the chase. <laughs> Go right to it. Right. Basically, say that, and then the book unpacks it. The book Dr. Tim Keller is referring to there is called Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? And this conversation was recorded outdoors in New York City with Focus on the Family President, Jim Daly. Jim, that's just a portion of our time with Dr. Keller on the topic of forgiveness, and there is so much more to come. Yeah, John, and in part two, we'll talk about how you can know you've truly forgiven someone, and we'll look at the biblical model of forgiveness and give practical tips on how to confront someone lovingly. Uh, that's the art, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I so appreciate Dr. Keller's wisdom and insights on one of the most important concepts we need to grasp as Christians. Our counselors hear from many listeners who are struggling in relationships, and so often the need for forgiveness is at the heart of the matter. So don't miss our conversation next time as we continue to unpack this vital topic. And in the meantime, to follow up on what you've heard today, um, please ask for Dr. Keller's tremendous book, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I, when you make a donation of any amount to the ministry of Focus on the Family. Uh, Call today, 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459, or donate and request your copy of that book at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And John, uh, we mentioned our counseling team here at Focus. That's just one of the areas where we are ministering to people who are stressed and who have needs that we can help with. When you give to Focus on the Family, God will use your support to strengthen so many people who are looking to us for answers. And right now, through a matching opportunity, your gift will be doubled, dollar for dollar, to help bring healing and redemption to someone's life and another person's life. So please give families hope with a gift today. And again, we'll send you Dr. Keller's book as our way of saying thank you. And once more, our number, 800, the letter A in the word family. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we continue the conversation with Dr. Tim Keller and once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program, for your family. Stay tuned. Praying with the kids at bedtime in the comfort of your home. This warm setting is featured in the new special edition print from Focus on the Family titled, What Matters Most? It's a story in paint by artist Morgan Weisling, a gicle depicting a faithful pioneer family 
and it can have a special place in your home to remind you of what's truly important. Get this special edition print at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash special print. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash special print. In his book about forgiveness, Dr. Tim Keller writes, We have a profound need to grant and receive forgiveness. Forgiveness gets down to the bottom of things, to the alienation we feel from God and from ourselves because of our wrongdoing. The deepest need of our nature is for Jesus, and the doorway is to know forgiveness. Dr. Keller is back with us today on Focus on the Family as we continue a conversation on this topic. And your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. Hey John, we had a really good visit with Tim Keller about this critical matter of forgiveness. And we all need to know how to forgive others because as Christians, we've been forgiven so much. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's easy to let go of bad feelings we may have for someone else. It's in our sinful nature to harbor resentment or to want to retaliate. I mean, we see it in the news every day. Today, Dr. Keller will bring more powerful stories and very practical help for us in forgiving others. So stay with us. Dr. Tim Keller is an author and the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. He now works with Redeemer City to City, an organization he co-founded. The new book he's written is called Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? I hope you'll contact us today to get your copy. You'll find us at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 800-A-FAMILY. We spoke with Dr. Keller outdoors near his home in New York, and we'll pick up the conversation with a couple of great examples of forgiveness. And here now is Jim Daly with Dr. Tim Keller on Focus on the Family. You had another really impactful story right here in New York. We're hearing some of the ambient sounds of Are sirens. You? and What? You know, this is an active city, isn't it, John? <laughs> Very active. Very <laughs> yeah, energetic. But you had a story of a New York gang member, young man, yeah, yeah. who uh, demonstrated incredible forgiveness. And describe that story. And where where does a what I would decide or believe would be his unbelieving heart? But you, he can demonstrate some powerful godly truths, even if he doesn't have a faith in Christ. Well, you know, there's actually two stories. One of one of them was a a policeman who was trying to break something up and was uh, injured by a kid, you know, a, a, an inner city youth, and he was paralyzed the rest of his life. And um, it's interesting, he tried to talk to the kid in prison, he tried to write him in prison, and the guy wouldn't talk to him, and then, weirdly enough, he got out and then died in a motorcycle yeah. accident. Huh. And then there was another one where the boy... Uh, he wasn't hurt by the. He wasn't the police. He, he was hurt by other gang members, and he um, was also paralyzed. And he he also forgave. And in both cases, the boy uh, forgave the people who had had um, uh, basically paralyzed him. And the 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 policeman had forgiven the youth who had harmed him. In fact, the policeman. By the way, there, I know I'm I'm kind of directing your question to something else. Interesting, the policeman, looking back, said, I, I now actually realize that it did look pretty racist for me just to show up at these poor kids' places of uh, where they were playing and where they were living. And he, he wasn't just convicted that he needed to become a Christian and forgive, but even that he actually had been a person who was sort of guilty of injustice. Yeah. So it's, it's all those, uh, it's never just I've forgiven, 
Yeah. But usually there's a, a humbling that happens and a new, a new way of understanding themselves. Yeah. So forgiveness is really transformational. It doesn't just reconcile you to other people. It actually gives you a completely different approach well, to yourself. I, I think the purpose in me asking about those stories is really to set this question up, and that is how, how do you know when you have not or you have uh, truly forgiven somebody? It, there can be a bit of fuzziness about oh, yeah. that. I'll give you a quick example. For me, when I speak about my childhood and my dad, the alcoholic, and they divorced my mom and dad, and men who are 60 and 70 years old will be in this line and they'll come up to me in tears saying, I've never been able to forgive my father. Yeah. And I, it's a hard one for me. That, what do you say? I mean, you have to let it go. You have to not hold that against them. You've got to forgive them. But there is a lot of that, Tim, in the yeah. Christian culture, just these grievances that we really haven't dealt with. So how do we know, A, that they exist and then B, if we've actually if, forgiven. Right. I don't think there's a bright line that you say, if, you, if you've passed there, I, I do actually think it's, frankly, relative. I mean, I'll get, that sounds terrible. Oh, my goodness, the Presbyterian minister, he's a relativist. No, I don't mean that. I mean this. Here's what I'll do. Shorthand, here's my pastoral advice to somebody. I will say, and it's in the book, forgiveness is granted before it's felt. Most people say, I, I'm still mad. Uh-huh. So I haven't forgiven. So I say, okay, for a moment, why don't we uh, separate the two? Because some people would say, since I'm still mad, I can't forgive. And I say, no, forgiveness is something you can grant before you actually feel it. And that's hmm. a very important. And I say, well, what does it mean to grant? Okay, forgiveness is a, is a, it's a commitment. In principle, the commitment is I am not going to take revenge on this person. I am not going to make this person pay. Okay. In other words, that's the definition of any forgiveness. I mean, in the book, I try to say, if uh, somebody knocks your lamp over, it's $50, and they say, oh, I'm so sorry, you can either say, yes, so that'll be $50, please, or you can say, forget it, which means you forgive them, but then you have to go out and buy the lamp. The $50 doesn't go away. Right. Or, or maybe you go in darkness, but the point is somebody pays. And when forgiveness is always, always deciding I'm not going to make the other person pay. I'm going to absorb it. But to really grant forgiveness day in and day out is to make a commitment to do three things. Not to keep bringing the matter up to the person. Not to keep bringing the matter up to other people to try to kind of run them down, you know, get back at them by hurting their reputation. And not to keep bringing it up over and over again to yourself. So what that means is I, if I find myself thinking about it too much, I say, no, I'm not going to do that. It's a commitment to yourself. Uh, if I find myself kind of having an opportunity to run the person down to somebody else, I'm not going to do that. And if I have an opportunity to use this against, this especially happens, by the way, in marriage. I, boy, I, know, I was thinking that. I know that. you're going to think about that. Going, wow. In other words, something you say, if, you're, if your spouse says, please forgive me, honey, for that, and you say yes, then you can't bring it up again f six months later. You must not bring it up six months later. And here's the thing. If you actually make follow through on those commitments, you'll feel the anger diminishing over time. Mm. If you don't make those three commitments, the anger, I think, stays a very, very long time. So it's granted before it's felt. It's The granting is basically, I'm not going to take revenge, but in actual day in and day out, it means just refusing to go in those directions. And I think it's almost as simple as that. It, I don't think... Um, 
the forgiveness is hard. It, it's harder the less God is real to you, and it's easier the more he's real to you. Boy, Sorry. that is a good statement right there. Yeah. That's powerful. And I think that, that also, in interviewing a lot of women on the theme of marriage and parenting, the one thing that I've noticed, and you know this, John, they have an incredible capacity to look at themselves first. I think we as men, we kind of have the ego that says, that's the other guy's fault. But yeah. in that context, the question of how to forgive yourself, yeah, I'm not the good mom, I'm not the perfect wife, I'm not a good husband. Where does that forgiveness for self come yeah, in? Yeah, where does that come? If somebody's asking me that, I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to work with them. I'm not sure that I think it's the best way of talking about it. Huh. Uh, now, if you're R.C. Sproul, what R.C. used to do is used to say, if somebody said, I have, uh, I know God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. And he says, so you have higher standards than God, huh? <laughs> it's a little, which I thought was a little bit, I don't know. I'm not sure that's the best bedside manner. Somebody's really struggling, but he's right. No, at the core, it, it, what you're saying it, is you're... You're really saying, I have higher standards than God. I mean, people, well, wait a minute. No, I can't. I don't have a... Here's what's going on, I think. I am not going to say this right out of the blocks. I'm not even sure it's true with, with a particular person. I have to spend some time. Generally speaking, there's another God going on here. God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. Okay, if your real God is your career and you did something really stupid and you're probably never going to get your career back on track and your self-image is not so much based on I'm a child of God it's based on I'm a successful I'm an achiever whatever right yeah. and now I haven't achieved and I can't forgive myself what you've really got here is an idol and see false gods can't forgive hmm. see what I always like to say to people is the reason why it'd be better to say, to serve Jesus rather than your your career or anything else is Jesus. If you get him, he actually satisfies you. You you know the C.S. Lewis thing is you get to the top of your career or you become as beautiful as you want to be or you get everything you want. It's and never you, enough. It's never enough. Jesus is the only God that if you get him will satisfy you and if you fail him will forgive you. Your career will never forgive you for your sins. Hmm. Your career will punish you the rest of your life if that's your God. And so I, it takes me a while with people. I can't just jump in and say, oh, you must be, there must be some idolatry here. You know, I mean, in other words, I would yeah. never go in that way fast. Uh, and you might even, actually, if you know the person well and they're not in too much trouble, you might do the, the RC. It's almost like a joke saying, so you have higher standards than God, if, you know, and no, I guess not. I mean, sometimes that actually helps. Yeah. But in most cases, it's usually something that they've given their heart way too much to. Yeah. And it is punishing them because it, they failed that false God. And that's, that's where a lot of that, that comes is, from. It's really insightful. I mean, it's a test for idolatry. I mean, that is really powerful. Yes. Uh, inordinate, actually any inordinate emotion that you can't get rid of. So uh, inordinate bitterness actually can be, towards somebody else, can mean that this is an idol. Inordinate fear, I'm going to lose it. Inordinate guilt, that, oh, I failed. And you just, inordinate meaning it just doesn't seem to be resolvable. Right. Very often there's some, there's some kind of idolatry. That's something. Let me, let me go back for a moment where you have that conflict with another person and your forgiveness is dependent upon that person's response. 
Ah. Is, can that be okay, or is that unhealthy? If back to the groveling, but there may be some more subtle things like that. That right. It's only going to work if you demonstrate a certain action. Yeah. Then I'll forgive you. Yeah, I'm really glad you got there. Uh, you asked that question because we. That's important part of the book here. There's there's two verses that look like they're contradictions. Mark eleven twenty five says, Jesus says, if you're standing and praying and you realize you've got anything against anyone, forgive them. And it doesn't seem to have any conditions, just you have to forgive them. Luke 17 is where it says, if a person repents, you should forgive them. Even if they do it over and over, you forgive them. And so it looks like one is saying you don't have to forgive till they repent. The other one looks like it says you have to forgive whether they repent or not. And my dear departed friend, David Pallison, I don't know if you knew who he was, but yeah. he is a counselor who died recently. Actually, I think he died of pancreatic cancer, oh, but my. anyway. He said there's an internal forgiveness that you do before, immediately. That's Mark 11:25, where you make those commitments we were talking about before, not to keep bringing it up to yourself and others where you say, I'm not going to pay back, and you forgive. But then you do need to go be, uh, for the person's sake, for God's sake, for others' sake, and say, you did something here that you really, I don't think you should have done. Now, if you go to them, having forgiven, they still may get their back up and just not want to talk to you. Uh, if you go to them kind of unforgiving and kind of vengeful saying, do you know what you did to me? They, they will definitely get their back up and not listen to you. But if you go to them forgiven, forgiving and gracious and all that, they might actually start to say, oh, I didn't realize that. I'm so sorry. And they change and you reconcile. Great. But Romans 12, 18 says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all. And what that means is you take whatever you get. If mm. the person does not respond well or doesn't want to talk about it or even responds very poorly, you know, in a way that's really kind of half wrong, you know, it, I think what you say is I got it, whatever I can get and now I'm still going to, I'm going to be forgiving and I'm going to try to be as open to the person as I possibly can. In that respect, um, I'm thinking of circumstances I've been involved in where you're extending an olive branch and it gets bitten off, you know, so you do it again and maybe a third time. Is there a time that you can say, okay, I gave it my best shot, and it's just not happening, and you stop extending the olive branch? Yeah, yeah I think you. I think it, that's a judgment call. As long as you say that the, the door is, you know, still open. But it may have to come from the other direction. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's right. In other words, I, I think, I don't know how often. Right. You know, the Matthew 18 thing, where you go to the person, and if they don't listen to you, you take somebody, and if they don't listen to you, tell it to the church. Most people do not really meet, think that Jesus is saying you, you get three tries. Right. It certainly looks like a process, and surely in different situations you would take longer and do it more often. Or uh, It's never loving to make it easy for someone to sin against you. Huh. It's not loving to that person. And I have seen some people you know, say, I'm just trying to put out the olive branch but basically they're just getting clobbered right every single time and i said i don't think it makes it's not helping the perpetrator by making it so easy for the perpetrator to despise you and 
yell at you and I don't know that that's, that's a good a, yeah, idea. That's an interesting perspective. You're emboldening them to continue yeah, the behavior that them. hurts other people. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. I'm here asking people what happens when you turn 70 and a half. You get free ice cream for life? Uh, you get more senior discounts? When you turn 70 and a half, you're eligible for an IRA charitable rollover. And you can give that to Focus on the Family. You can find out more at FocusPlannedGiving.com. Reduce your taxable income and help families thrive for generations to come. It's a gift that appreciates, and we appreciate you for giving it. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Let me ask you this. One of the hardest things for people to do is to confront someone lovingly. And I think, again, is there a difference between confronting a non-believer and Mm. someone within the community of Christ? And, you know, the scenario makes all the difference. And I'm just thinking about, do you go about it differently? Because on the one hand, I can remember a Christian leader saying to me, who's going to hold them accountable to God's righteousness and that would be the response to loving your neighbor, perhaps without any boundaries. So how do you how do you engage, I guess, that accountability between the world and the church, yeah. the well, fellow believer? Certainly, I do think that if you have another professing believer who you think has wronged you, I think the Matthew 18 stuff is that you are both accountable to God, you're both accountable to the Scripture, you might be in the same church— Maybe not. But I do think you the reconciliation uh, attempt can go on longer. You know, you, you have more resources. You probably should, should not give up on it, your brothers or sisters in Christ. Uh, I do think somebody outside, there's a limit to what you can appeal to when you're talking to them. You know, I mean, with, with a Christian, you've got all that. You've got the Word of God, and you've got so many other, you've got better arguments for why you shouldn't have done that. Right, um, and so I guess I would just say that reconciliation—you shouldn't give up as soon. You should spend more time with it. You've got more resources for a Christian. I would say, so in some ways, it's easier than with a non-Christian because with a non-Christian, you don't have as many resources, you don't have as good arguments. But I would say, the, here's the problem with the Christian who's wronged you versus the non-Christian. With the non-Christian, you say, well, you know, I, I don't know whether they know any better. I mean. You know the place where Treebeard in Lord of the Rings says, a wizard should know better? <laughs> right. You know? And he says, he says you're, wait a minute. You've done all this to the trees. And wait a minute. You, you're a wizard. You're not just somebody else. You're not just somebody else. You're a wizard. You should know better. And I do think that Christians very often find it very difficult to forgive other Christians for that very reason. You say, come on. Yeah. So it's easier and harder. So they, they're just different. You know, one of the uh, arguments I've heard back when I worked in the business world, this was really interesting. I, I knew a number of secular business people, and they would say to me, you know, most of the Christian business people I've worked with, they wronged me. They cost me money. They didn't pay me back or something like that. And so that's why I don't pursue God. And I start smiling at them, and I can remember doing this several times. And that irritated them, and they'd look at me, and I'd say, well, it's kind of foolish to keep eternal life from you because somebody didn't live it well. Mm. <laughs> you know, so using the argument that somebody didn't live their Christian faith 
properly in your eyes is no argument not to pursue a relationship no, with God. No. <laughs> you know, what I always try to, this may not be the best bedside manner, but I said, ah, so that convinced you that Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, he said, yeah. I said now, wait a minute, it's a non sequitur. Just, okay, so this ostensibly Christian businessman cheated you. So that means you said, ah, that just proves that Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. I said, you really ought to go look at the evidence <laughs> right. for the Christian faith instead of just say, yeah. you know, that guy he was, was a hypocrite. Right. So it, it, so I, much wiser. I kind of understand it. I mean, there's no doubt. We, we do believe that if you're an attractive person, you attract people to Christ. But sometimes I think people are not very logical when they, when they just say, oh, look at that person. They say he's a Christian. That shows there's nothing to it. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, they're quack doctors. It doesn't mean medicine is, yeah. is, a, is a bogus thing. Dr. Keller, somebody has been listening along and they might have been influenced by something you've said, but they just can't get to that point of forgiving somebody who has really wounded them. They're still stuck. Yeah. yeah. What do you say to them? Well, get, get a conversation partner. I'm not saying it doesn't have to be a necessarily professional counselor. Get a conversation partner who you think, first of all, maybe has had to forgive. You find, find somebody that you know seems to have forgiven something that was hurt them. Uh, find a conversation partner who's a mature Christian and open up. And I think you probably ought to be talking with somebody about it. Uh, hmm. I, I really do. Now, I'm hoping the book might be of help. Sure. Uh, sure. And even though you know, Jim Daly is quite an, you know, he really can interrogate you. <laughs> I want you to know, however, he didn't get me to say everything that's in the book. Yeah. All right. So there's, there's a lot in the book that we didn't cover here. What, what kind of a prayer can that person really zero in on as they talk to God about this? Yeah. You know, uh, I would say... Lord, I, I, I would read, by the way, the parable of the unmerciful servant, and then I'd say, Lord, just speak to me through this. Help me see something that might make it possible for me to forgive my fellow servant. That's it. Uh, Tim, the last question here, because uh, it's such a good illustration. In the book, you mentioned a story about an Australian medical missionary, uh, which was very oh. powerful. So we don't want to miss that one. In India. And there's other stories, but uh, let's hit that one right at the end because, again, it makes such an impact. Yeah, the, uh, it was an Australian uh, medical missionary family that was uh, quite a number of years ago that was in India working with um, lepers and a lot of very, very poor people didn't have good medical treatment. Um, something that still happens today, I'm afraid, was a, a, an anti-Christian mob found the husband and I think two sons, I believe. I think there were two sons and a, and a daughter. And the two sons were with the father in a car and they surrounded the car and, and, mm. and killed them. Surrounded the car and killed them. And the mother and her daughter after they discovered this said, we're going to stay here and we're going to continue the work. And eventually they, they formed a hospital she stayed her, in her entire life, and uh, daughter grew up there. And they just said, "We, you know, this is not going to stop us from loving these people. Uh, this is not going to stop us." And 
of course, today they are venerated by, by the way, by the Hindu government, which today is actually still pretty hostile to Christians. Hmm. And yet they got, I forget what the name of them is. There's some highest order of merit that was given to uh, her for, for staying there and doing all this uh, uh, health care for the poor of India. It is pretty remarkable. That is and remarkable. she And when she was being covered, it was, it was big news, of course, at the time. And she says, well, we're going to forgive and we're going to stay. Right. And forgiveness is an act of self-denial. But we live in a culture that continually says self-assertion, self-assertion. Don't let anybody make you feel guilty. Don't let anybody walk all over you. Don't let anybody keep you from what you want. In a culture of self-assertion, we will become more and more incapable of forgiveness. And Christians will more and more be a counterculture in which forgiveness is still possible. And I think Christians, therefore, can be salt and light in this country if we're still able to forgive, but not if we start to use all the same belligerent sort of language that everybody else is using. Kind of ending where we started when I said that we're in the Christian community, we're trying to use carnal tools to battle carnal you, people. You did say that. I did. How wise of you. So. And then expecting a spiritual result. <laughs> no, you're right. You totally. got to use spiritual tools to get a spiritual result. Totally right. <laughs> Tim, it's so good to be with you. Thank you. I mean, when you say thank you for your time, that can often be a throwaway line. But given what's happening in your life and where God has you right now, Thank you for your time. Well, thank you for actually coming all the way. It's all right. <laughs> Just yards from where I live in order to have a live interview. I was amazed. If you were well, gonna, I said, if you're going to do that, okay. Well, that I was can kind. Come out, so. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Well, what a privilege to visit with Dr. Tim Keller, who so graciously spoke with us on this very important topic of forgiveness. And uh, his great book about this is called Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? I think every Christian, John, should have a go-to resource like this that they can use in helping to heal relationships that are strained. And Dr. Keller has compiled biblical wisdom on the principles and practices of forgiveness and how to reconcile with someone and receiving God's forgiveness in the process. Ask for this book, and when you send a donation of any amount, we'll send you a copy as our way of saying thank you. And in fact, right now, when you give to Focus, your gift will be doubled dollar for dollar to help even more families thrive in Christ. So please, help to give families hope with your gift today. And that gift will be doubled. And again, we'll send you Dr. Keller's book as our way of saying thank you. Donate today as you can and get your copy of this book by Dr. Keller. Uh, our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. Or visit us online at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. <music>